All right. Hey, Maddie. Hi, buddy. How you doing? Well, I'm uh, ready to adjust on the fly here because... Greetings, everyone. First of all, welcome to another edition of Rated P for Paranormal. If you've just found us, what we do is we talk half the show about paranormal issues brought up by a film, television show, or piece of music, piece of art, whatever, paranormally themed pop culture. We discuss it, we analyze it in the second half, and we rate it, which is very fun. Uh, But today, Anthony, I think we're going to change it a little bit because pending your approval, I haven't cleared this with you yet, but what I think we're going to do in this episode is we're going to fold in the discussion of mind control and all of that type of thing within our discussion of the film, because that's what this week's film, Possessor Uncut, deals in. And I think because of the fact there were like two big, huge paranormal breaking news stories, and then a third that's actually an old story that resurfaced this week. And we both were sent by our friends who were into this stuff, links to these articles going like, hey, did you guys see this? So I said, you know what, let's just lead with that. It is a half paranormal podcast after all. So why don't we talk about these things? So I think this plan sounds good. I'm, 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 I think it's great. I think there are a couple of off topic per the movie things we wanted to talk about anyway. Almost like a breaking news segment. All right. Uh, I'm down. Let's do it. We need a news bed or like, uh, you know, like rated P for paranormal news. So like P for P News Network with Anthony Arkin and Matty Blake on sports. Um, I've never heard anything like that. I think the audience would love to hear something new and innovative, like a gruff male announcer. Uh, some Some call me a visionary. I don't like to use that word. Here's firing on all cylinders. What kind of coffee are you having there? Plus, Anthony, I realized we kind of talked about mind control before when we reviewed Scanners. And by the way, I encourage you, if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to our Scanners episode. So I figured, you know, since we've already covered that a little bit, it makes sense to envelop that part of the conversation in the film as we review it. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So the first item up, I'll do the first one. You have the second story. The first item up in our P4P news break here is the... COVID-19 relief bill. But Maddie, Tony, that's completely unrelated to paranormal topics. Is it? I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to just let you go. You get you get it out of your system. President Trump signs this COVID-19 relief bill, committing the country to 2.3 trillion dollars in pandemic aid package. Is that true? 2.3 trillion with a T? I thought it would be billion. Wow. Within the bill's 5,600 pages, were a number of laws with little to do with the coronavirus pandemic. But the one that caught our eye is one requiring the U.S. intelligence services to submit an unclassified report on UFOs to the Senate Intelligence Committee within 180 days. Now, the report must include a detailed analysis of unidentified aerial phenomena data. It must also include identification of any incidents or patterns that indicate a potential adversary may have achieved breakthrough aerospace capabilities that could put us at risk. Tony, this is unbelievable. Uh, First of all, I guess it's a separate conversation, but the whole notion of these bills and and just, they call it pork, right? Uh, Putting things in that mean nothing, have nothing to do with the thing that you're making the bill about, which just seems odd to me. Yeah, but you studied some uh, governmental... Um, science sounds like because you're saying words like bill and I, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, n- my government education ended with the conjunction junction. What's your function cartoon? <laughs> conjunction function. Yes. yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is this your 
uh, a Trump administration a- ask or demand that may or may not be met? Or is this is this a you know bipartisan? Is this just a thing that's uh, agreed upon by a lot of different people? You know, don't forget that it was a bipartisan um, effort that has been revealed. That I think I think although it was Harry Reid, maybe that they spent money on looking at this phenomenon. It, it wasn't just a Republican thing or a Democrat thing. So that was bipartisan back in the day. We found out about that just recently. This is coming off the heels of, of course, you know, the Tic Tac UFO video and the recent disclosures that have happened in the last couple of years where our own defense agencies and our own military has said, yes, there are things up there in the sky that we don't understand. And the release of uh, well, there was three videos. Um, and a bunch of details about the U.S. Navy and and these unidentified aerial phenomena, as they called UAPs last year. Navy pilots, of course, encountered these things that's now called the Tic Tac video. And then there's the U.S. Nimitz video. Um, that's the f- famous one with the pilots are going like, there's a whole fleet of them, dude. So, so in my uninformed opinion, it's more based on because of all that has come out that somebody said, hey, let's let's find out exactly what's going on. You know, I'm going to find out who did that. That's a great question. Um, but it, but to answer the other party question, I think it's in there and done. Like once that bill was signed, they owe this report in 180 days. Uh, I think so, too. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see whether that's complied with, you know, I mean, or how or how they complied. But what's what's fascinating is how I don't know, we, we you know, I people interested in this topic, you know, we've talked about disclosure, what we call disclosure for, for forever. It's been kind of the word, like the, the hot button topic. And um, it seems like it's kind of happening, but in a way that really is surprising because I think everybody thought there was going to be a big reveal, you know, and that everybody would freak out and people maybe governments maybe weren't revealing things they knew because they were worried about mass hysteria and panics and stuff. I guess we've passed whatever test we need to pass culturally to prove that we can handle that information. You know, that's number one, I would think. But number two, I mean, especially after people, I mean, the Vatican even came forward and said, we have no problem with UFO, like things on other planets or UFOs, like that's fine. That fits in with our lexicon just fine. I remember reading years ago about, uh, Valiant Thor. Have you ever heard of that? That this character that the CIA. There's a band called Valiant Thor. Is there really? Well, they're named after this guy uh, because supposedly there's a picture of him taken from the side. But but uh, it's been a long story in ufology that the CIA employed a guy named Valiant Thor for years uh, at the Pentagon, and he was an alien that we had worked with that race, and he he was kind of an emissary for that race, and he was this kind of. You know, he looked like a human who had gigantism, basically. Like, picture Tony Robbins, but blonde, working for the CIA. I don't have any trouble picturing that somehow. <laughs> it's immediately popped into my head. I'm like, yeah, that's probably true. That's You probably just explained the literal truth. I can paint a picture with my mouth. Oh, boy, I'm going to take that out. <laughs> Please take that out. Oh, some things can never be unsaid or unheard. I can't give it um, okay. So Valiant Thor was this guy. And one of the things I remember reading that Valiant Thor said was that, uh, Jesus, that persona, that person of Jesus and his lessons appeared everywhere throughout the universe. Like that's, that's the universal message. That's why aliens tend to talk in that same type of like, love each other, love your enemies. So kind of interesting that I guess the Vatican or, you know, could 
could have that opinion of saying like, well, we're good with that. Doesn't mean there was no, it doesn't mean the message is invalid if there's other creatures, right? Well, here I thought that the Vatican did it because they were being reasonable. And there you have to say something that really challenges that for me. I'm not at all saying that that the Vatican knew about Valiant Thor. (laughs) I'm not equating the two. Um, I'm just speaking on the larger sense that, you know, one might not preclude the other. Well, that's certainly what the Vatican's, you know, position is. And and many, you know, uh, many other countries and cultures have come forward saying, basically, we don't know what the holdup really is, but the U.S. is the only government that's not kind of just, you know, just admitting that something's going on and we don't know what it is. We also, Tony, you talk about disclosure. We had a guy on my previous podcast, wrote a book called Managing Magic. And is that about being the, a manager of magicians? Nope. Because that would be a great job. Mm, would it though? Well, I was being sarcastic. I guess it depends on who you're managing. You know, uh, Doug Henning would have been lovely. Copperfield. Oh, now I don't want to, you, you do not want to have to organize a flight trip for Doug Henning. Like a whole, it's just gotta be really difficult. Hold on. If I could be around Doug Henning in the seventies, I'm taking that gig. Think about the th- stories you'd have. I think he was probably just a regular guy who had a gig and it wasn't that big a deal. Mm, do, you, do you think the rainbow shirt scarf guy was with sparkles or just a regular old Joe? I've seen some videotapes of you from jobs that you've done. You're not in a position to really be casting aspersions. It's a great point. It's a really great point. Okay, this book, Managing Magic, the government's UFO disclosure plan. We had this guy on our last podcast. Uh, His name was Grant Cameron. And Grant has said the disclosure issue is a long and complicated process that we have been slowly fed over the years, which makes a lot of sense to me. We've been desensitized and in effect trained on a lot of these things through their relationships with Hollywood and music and film, actually just what this podcast deals with, paranormal and pop culture. And so that when it starts to happen, we're not completely freaked out. We're like, oh yeah, a weird thing in the sky moving like that. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I gotcha. You know, I, I, there's a part of me that feels like that's true, but then you have to change the name because that's not disclosure. That is obfuscation. So disclosure means telling people what's going on. Disclosure doesn't mean manipulating the information any way that you want and lying about it for 40 years until until it's the right time. That's a different, I think we have to use a different word. With all due respect to the guest of your previous show, we have to come up with a different term because that's the problem. You can't just say that this has been disclosure, not having called everybody a liar and a buffoon for 50 years. I Okay, but hold on. Fine. But then let's say it this way. Uh, a long, slow process of being fed information. And so when disclosure does happen, was his point, that we won't be so shocked. It's the first time that they said that what they actually, that they potentially said what is actually going on, which is that something's happening and we don't know what it is. They've never said that before. In fact, they said nothing's going on. You're an idiot. It's swamp gas. Stop being a moron. That's what they said. That is true. Everything you said is true. And this is semantics at some point. But previous to that, they leaked us information throughout the years to desensitize us. So that that makes sense to me because I see it in people's reactions, Anthony. You go, hey, did you see that video? Uh, did you see that article in the New York Times? I go, oh, yeah. Oh, huh. wow. I guess they're real. <laughs> you know, I guess. Yeah. I don't mean to be difficult about it, but this is actually like hinges on an important piece of it for me where disclosure 
whatever their disclosure tactics are only standing in the way of me getting information that I, I think I deserve because I'm alive on planet earth and everybody could, could, everybody deserves to know this. And I don't, I don't, I, I don't think that the manipulation, because I don't think that people have ever responded to this kind of thing with the kind of panic that they were afraid of. I don't think that's why they didn't disclose. And I think that's, I think that's bullshit. So I think that the reasons for non-disclosure were, were personal were greed-based, were manipulative, things that they say they did for our benefit, but really were doing for their own. And when I say them, in this case, it's pretty simple. It's 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 different administrations through the military-industrial complex that have controlled the information. I mean, it's 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 the Air Force, Navy, the Armed Forces. They they're the ones who just said we've been studying it, and it finally admit it's not. <laughs> it's a thing. So they're the ones who were. That's the they. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm tired of what I feel would be a, a universal thing for everybody on the planet to know, and and to be to have to deal with. Um, I feel like that's a human right, and for any government to decide for us that we shouldn't know that we're not alone in the universe, it's not up to them. And they may say that they're doing it for our protection. They may say that. And until they prove that, I'm just going to say that it's probably greed because that's what it's usually been about when they're so concerned. When, are, when else are they concerned about our interests? They don't care that, you know, <laughs> they don't care if, if, a, if a typhoon wipes out part of our country or if half of it's on fire. But they care how we're going to respond to this. I don't buy it. I see what you're saying. I, th- I think it probably started off in a out of a, I don't even want to say good place because I don't, I wouldn't know how to quantify that, but it started off probably in a protective uh, attitude, you know, like fighter pilots are encountering these things. And the government of course goes, we don't know if this is Russia. We don't know if it's uh, aliens. We don't know what's going on. Keep a lid on it, you know, which makes sense to me. And then, or, or blow it up, which is another human response. That's not so great. Correct. And I, according to, you know, our friend, the former Blink-22 star, he says, that these things have posed a threat against us and that defensive maneuvers have been, have been organized by governments. Well, when you say us, that's on the record in Iran, for instance, and in other countries and, and in South America, there, there, I think it was Venezuela, their air force said that they engaged these, these objects. So when you say we, they, I mean, it's just the American government we're talking about, just the American armed forces. Well, no, I'll make you feel better about the American government. Again, this comes from Grant Cameron, who is very well respected in this topic. He says, he because I said something like that to him, Tony, I said, boy, the Americans are the only ones, and I, uh, the Americans are the only ones who aren't doing anything. All these other governments are saying we did this. That's actually not quite true. He said, actually, people like Harry Reid and people like that in the American side are the only ones really trying to find answers. He goes, what these other governments have done is a data dump. And so these things were recorded and they were, they have different laws than us in a lot of these different countries. So, so the government just went, all right, here's everything we have on that. Good luck. And they left it up to the Americans to actually bring it forth to the world community. That's according to this fella. And he said, and that's what you're seeing now is that people like Harry Reid and people like To The Stars Academy are going, all right, so we're not just going to tell you the anecdote of- We're the wrong. Uh, <laughs> what's that? 
we're the wrong people to do it now. Probably so. But, you know, so they what what he's making the distinction between is like telling an account, an account of a pilot having an episode and literally we want your most secret files on this stuff. We want to know what's going on and what these are, which is we are the first ones to do that. All right. Well, we'll see. You know, now Nick Pope was another really respected guy. He's a Brit. Yeah. He worked for what MOD for, for a long time. Yes. Yes. That's correct. Correct. He said, you know, what is this study going to show us? And he said, and I quote him, assuming we're not dealing with a combination of pilot misperceptions, which is unlikely as a lot of this was captured on radar. He said, we're left with very few options. U.S. black project technology being blind tested against the military as part of the evaluation process, a Russian or Chinese drone engaged in reconnaissance or something genuinely unknown, and then, yes, perhaps even extraterrestrial. So I thought that was kind of a cool little breakdown of, of what possibly could be. Well, and I show, he, show, as usual, shows uh, a lot of restraint in how he talks about stuff, which I've always admired about him. Um, He's not saying like, yo, here we go. This is it. He's like being very, very careful about saying it could be three things. Um, But I'm glad that's not swamp gas anymore. You know, we've come a distance. I'll go there. I'll I'll say that. Um, I just, I just, you know, it's very hard for me to imagine a scenario where special interests aren't looking out for their own special interests here about this disclosure thing. And um, I just, I, I you know, I, and, and I don't have proof of that. I just have evidence from in almost every other way that we deal with things. It just seems like it would, it would be in keeping. Um, but, uh, but at any rate, what I find fascinating is that whatever this disclosure process is, it is happening the way that you were told that it's slow, that it's going to be, you know, kind of like it's going to trickle out. And that's the process of getting people used to it. I get that. Yeah, I totally get it. My sense of things is that they're not going to know that they're not going to have answers where they're looking and how they're looking. Because my my sense of things is that this this stuff is far weirder than than anybody has put the you know has we haven't very few people I think have put the dots together as to what how weird this possibly could be. And I I just think it's maybe parts of this are kind of unknowable by human consciousness is what I guess I'm, I'm saying is that, uh, you know, uh, I've always been one to think that consciousness from other dimensions or other planets, who's to say what form that's going to take and our, and our preoccupation with carbon based, uh, you know, water-based life is, is um, fortunately starting to get challenged a little bit, you know, but it seems like we're primarily interested in that, which means that maybe the primary interest has been one of trade or goods, you know, rather than rather than any kind of deeper knowledge uh, of our who we are or where we're going. That it's really more about like, well, they're carbon based so that they probably have shit we need. That's a really great point, because a mind like yours can can possibly fathom like when you when people report seeing you know bioorganisms in the sky slipping through interdimensions and i have to say well just think of it like a blonde tony robbins <laughs> you cut right to the quick you get it right you, you just nail it you have a way with words oh actually yeah i forgot a quote from uh, nick pope he says i paint a beautiful picture with my mouth <laughs> governor 
another story Tony broke this week. This there's a new signal that SETI uh, is saying is looking more and more possibly like it could be f- from an intelligent source. An article from something called The Conversation, but says SETI, new signal excites alien hunters. Here's how we could find out if it's real. Um, the U.S. Breakthrough Listen Initiative, funded by Russian billionaire technology and science investor Yuri Milner and his wife Julia, has identified a mysterious radio signal that seems to come from the nearest star to the sun, Proxima Centauri. This has generated a flood of excitement in the press among scientists themselves. The discovery, which was reported by The Guardian, but is yet to be published in a scientific journal, maybe the search for extraterrestrial intelligence's first bona fide candidate signal. It has been dubbed Breakthrough Listen Candidate 1 or simply BLC1. Also, there was something about what they thought was that asteroid. Oh, yeah, Amuamua, yes. Amuamua, uh, there's a Harvard uh, professor who's, who's... Yeah. Yes. Um, who's positing that that is probably not uh, a naturally occurring phenomenon. This is another old story that has resurfaced uh, because this guy has a book coming out. When this story broke, there was a woman from NASA who kept poo-pooing it. And we just like, I remember just ragging on her sound clips. Uh, <laughs> she was awful. NASA is such a wet blanket all the time. It's like, of course, we know that it couldn't be alien. I'm like, how do you know that? Yeah, that's so obnoxious when they do that. This story has resurfaced because this Harvard professor is chair of Harvard's Department of Astronomy. So he's not like just some fringe part-timer or something, you know. He's the he's the real deal. He's written a book called Extraterrestrial, The First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth. And in it, Tony, he posits, this guy's name is Professor Abraham Loeb, and he says that Oumuamua, that huge, strange thing, object that flew by Earth, he says that this thing might be, in fact, kind of alien junk. And it's a little complicated, but basically what he says is there are several things about it. It's It was more shiny than pretty much any uh, meteor that we've ever seen. Um, it also had weird dimensions. It looked like no naturally occurring body they've ever seen, not even close, according to him. And he says, but what really put them over the edge, the anomaly was the way it moved, a muamua, which is what they called it because it was kind of discovered, I think, out of a, a Hawaiian. Uh, I think that was a Hawaiian observatory. Yeah. If I remember correctly, it like loosely translates to scout, which is kind of creepy. But he says the excess push away from the sun was the thing that broke the camel's back. So they could calculate the exact path an object should take and what speed it would travel due to the gravitational force exerted by the sun. But Oumuamua didn't follow this calculated trajectory. The object, in fact, accelerated slightly, but to a highly statistical significant extent. In other words, it looked like it was being pushed by a force besides the sun's gravity. So then he and his team kind of measure this thing or... I guess, you know, map it out using physics and whatever the heck smart people use. He thinks it's a very thin thing. Experts believed it was like cigar shaped, but he thinks it looks more like a sail, a thin sail, maybe curved based on the numbers. And ironically, or maybe not, 
Um, this use of a sale is how scientists now will um, launch probes and things like that because of they've studied how meteors move and how they could use like a sail almost to be in front of the object and the object move behind the sail. And he thinks this thing looks kind of like that. And he's like, so if we thought of it, you know, and scientists now use that sail technique to launch probes, why wouldn't an alien species have thought of it and use it? So he thinks it might be space junk, um, but alien space junk. And he says now that scientists in his field seem to kind of be falling over each other to come up with a natural explanation for a muamua. Man, there's something about this that people want to prove it wrong and they can't and very smart people. Well, I remember when the when it first came onto the news and everybody was talking about this, um there was a lot of speculation about it being alien. Um a lot. And and not just from, you know, fringe you know, uh, fans. It was something that was kind of like, is it, what is, what could it be? Um, I think naming it scout was, uh, a little bit of a tip off to that. No, no, no. sounds a little bit like an inside joke to me, but, um, but I remember that that excitement was quickly tamped down in a way that was not like, uh, the current vibe on this stuff. That's a little, you know, uh, subjective on my part, but it's still, I feel like we're, we're living in a time when this happened, we were undergoing a time where it was finally looking like you could talk about this kind of stuff in public and not be, you know, completely ridiculed for it. Um, and the way that this was, this, this possibility, uh, was, was really quickly eradicated and NASA's usual stance of like, well, of course it's, that's ridiculous and that's not possible, but however, I mean, not to badmouth NASA, I, they're awesome, but I mean, it just, when it comes down to this, I just feel that they're, they're so annoying. They're patronizing about it. They don't have to be patronizing. They were totally in 2017. I remember I played actually clips of my old radio show. Actually, they had a press conference and the thing kept cutting out. They had a worldwide satellite press conference the, the satellite feed kept dropping and I'm like, NASA can't even do a zoom call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Anyway, there was something about this when it broke that I thought was a little weird and hadn't been fully looked into and like, well, it disappeared. It went on its way. So we're never going to know. And I'm like, no, somebody's been researching this thing. Come on. And apparently somebody was, you know, here's his exact quote, by the way. And this is actually kind of a cool little, middle finger to those, those type of wet blankets. He says, skeptics are bending over backwards to assign natural origins to the object and that the explanations they've given to explain its weird properties don't always stand up to scrutiny. For example, some scientists suggested immediately that Oumuamua's acceleration was caused from frozen hydrogen on its surface, turning to gas and driving it like a comet, and that hydrogen would have been invisible to the Earth's infrared cameras, which is why we didn't detect it. Case closed. Not so fast. Oh. Because Loeb and his colleague published a paper showing that a hydrogen iceberg traveling through interstellar space would evaporate long before we would ever see it in our solar system. So, you know, and whether he's right or wrong, I don't know. But, um, you know, it's that type of immediate dismissal from scientists that really are, is frustrating. Yeah, it is frustrating. 
there's this book called American Cosmic by uh, D.W. Pasolka. I think I'm reading her name right. It's uh, called American Cosmic UFOs, Religion, and Technology. An amazing read. The pertinent part of it that I wanted to just mention now is that she really makes a great case after having researched this in depth and really met a lot of people involved in this study. She said you're not that that all of this now has gone to the private sector. The reason why the government doesn't know what's going on is because they haven't really been the ones controlling this information for a long time and that they actually did that on purpose because they didn't want to be resp- they felt it would be safer actually in the private sector because no one would be beholden to get that info. So if the government controls that information, then they have to admit it or send out redacted documents and then they're in trouble. But Right, because then you get a, a COVID-19 bill with, hey, show us what you got, right? If- right. But if millionaires and billionaires who privately control this information and have it have it safe, um, and I was like, wow, that really makes a lot of sense, logically. And, and another case she makes for that is because the reason why it's it's private sector and undiscussed is because there are a lot of people, a lot of notable people are very interested in this subject, but they don't talk about it because their reputation goes, goes to hell. So they keep that interest very, very, very private and very secret. Um, it was actually hard for this author to actually get in touch with a couple of people that, you know, it's not like men in black stuff, but it's just like people that would rather not be found and have the money to, to kind of keep their research private and do what they want to do. Um, that I thought was really interesting. And she met a few of the people that she claims are these folks. And man, this book is interesting. I really highly recommend it. Well, it gives a lot of credibility to someone like Tom DeLong, the aforementioned Tom DeLong from formerly from Blink-182, who, you know, has To The Stars Academy. If you look at the bio lines of the people that work at To The Stars Academy, there are some heavy hitters in that thing. All the, the, the list of guys he's got with him are heavy hitters and, and they're no longer working for the government. So that makes a lot of sense. I was just thinking about um, another History Channel show, Secret of Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, Skinwalker Ranch, now privately owned. So that's another example. And there's all kinds of weird stuff happening there. So, well, just as the list of... The list of people that, you know, have been involved in this or just fascinated by it and, or believers is an impressive list of people, too. I mean, that's a remarkable list. It's not talked about a lot, but, you know, um, God, I, I don't think there's been one U.S. president that hasn't been on the record in modern times of, of being fascinated by this. We get the information and talking about it. So uh, this is fantastic, Tony. Let's get to the film. But before we go, I want to play one little game with you in a previous episode. You made reference to the fact that UFO sightings had gone up. I thought, you know what? I'm going to look up and see just how much they've increased. So let's take uh, New York City, for example. Sightings have gone up from 2018 uh, to 2020. Let's play over under. Okay, okay. The percentage that they've gone up in New York City from 2018 to 2020, would you say over or under 60%? I'm going to say it's under 60%, but 60% is a huge number. It's a lot. It's a real lot. Uh, I'd like to give our uh, audience a second to answer. Go ahead. Pick your over under. The answer, my friends, is uh, if you pick the under, you lost. No. 
Would you like to go uh, over under 100%? Is it? I'm. Oh, my God. Is, is it over 100%? Tony, UFO sightings across the city from 2018, in which there were a dozen UFO sightings, according to the National UFO Reporting Center, have gone up 283%. What? 40... Is the, this is New York City, it's saying. Yes. And guess where the top sightings occur in the greater New York City area? It's got to be it's got to be Brooklyn. Brooklyn where you live and had a sighting. <laughs> Brooklyn tops be. the list with 12 12 sightings. Uh Manhattan had 11, Queens 10, Staten Islanders just claimed 8. Uh but that's of course just a percentage, a mathematical percentage, 238 because the the raw numbers, well, it went up in one year 31%. That was 46 compared to 35 the year before. But there was only 12 in 2018 and there were 46 that's 283 percent increase so that's incredible what's weird is that i assumed you know at first i'm like well that's because of you know covid lockdown everybody's on the roof for just it's like killing time but that this is going way before covid hit too so that's not just reflective of that you know that being said i i see a lot of crazy stuff up here you know, in Brooklyn, because I'm sandwiched between two airports and there's a lot of air traffic. And depending on the time of day, things can look pretty weird. So you got to be really careful, like where, like, is the sun behind something? Uh, is it reflecting a vapor trail from behind or in front or, you know, is it, it, things change radically during the course of the day? And I've been really, I've been thrown by some stuff and saw things that I, you know, and I, I've been looking for stuff for a while, so I'm not thrown by most like airplanes or choppers. I know what they are pretty quickly, but I was thrown a few times, but I was also kind of like killing time, looking at, looking around, looking up, taking that smoke break every, every, like they say, like people who are uh, smokers see more UFOs, right? Yes. Smokers and dog walkers. And by the way, the two sightings you had, you were walking your dog in one and smoking on the roof of the other. So (laughs) there you go. Hey, take it easy. (laughs) Take it easy. I was definitely walking my dog. What I was doing on the All roof right. is none of your business. All right. Let's get to our movie this week. Hope you had a chance to watch it. We gave you the week assignment, the homework assignment. This is Possessor. That's Mike Levesque on drums, y'all. Deal with it. It's not my So I just want to take a minute, Anthony, to appeal to our listeners. Uh, We are growing fast. We are now officially in the thousands of listens and downloads. And I see that almost 70% of our downloads, Tony, happen on Apple Podcasts. So please, we beseech thee, please take a second, go to Apple Podcasts, go to our show. There's literally stars you can tap on. There's five of them. Tap the star, whether you think we're five out of five, or maybe you think we're five out of five. Either one. Hit the five. Then it literally underneath that simply says, write a review. Please, if just a fraction of you did that, it would help us so much. And uh, we'll feature you on the show. We'll read those reviews. We've already got a bunch of them. I mean, my goodness, Wolverine 84. Uh, We'll read these at some point. Uh, Tweets McGee. Nice. I assume that must be one of my buddies, uh, but it was way too well written. (laughs) 
Natasha Voss, Tony, is a corporate agent who uses brain implant technology to inhabit other people's bodies, driving them to commit assassinations for the benefit of the company. While she has a special gift for the work, her experiences on these jobs have caused a dramatic change in her and her own life as she struggles to suppress violent memories and urges. This is the world given to us in the film Possessor Uncut by Brandon Cronenberg. Tony, is this an incredible analysis of government and corporate mind control and its possibilities, its terrifying possibilities, or is this a bloody mess that doesn't deserve a place on our shelf? This movie really unnerved me in a in a, in a really good way. I live for, <laughs> this is terrible, but I, I live for movies that really push buttons and are kind of shocking. I, I don't live for them, but I, I really enjoy the experience of seeing stuff. Yeah, maybe not live for them, but it is it is one of your big passions. I know how excited you get. When a, a movie actually scares me or unnerves me or kind of freaks me out a little bit, I get really happy because it's, it's it doesn't happen all the time. This film, I think, um, works at that level that, that uh, I'd be hard-pressed to think of someone who watched this and wasn't, kind of disturbed by it um or didn't work on them in a in a certain way uh so i'm a fan of these kinds of things i do want to point out one important thing though where did you see this film because there are two versions of it Uh oh i watched it on prime video i rented it for 99 cents by the by what a bargain you and i watched it on prime so what you and i saw initially was possessor not possessor uncut there are two versions of this movie I don't want to see uncut. I can tell you right now. I um, I, it wasn't. It's not really clear uh, w- what's going on because the the that there are two versions. It, it, it took me a couple minutes to figure out what was up. So when I found the movie on Amazon, I was like, "Oh, great, Possessor," and we watched it. Then I realized that Possessor Uncut is literally a somewhat different cut of the movie. It is the NC seventeen version. It has not been rated for kids at all, and I found that version exists on iTunes. So I went and rented that this morning. I didn't have time to look at the whole film, but I'm gonna. And I watched, I scanned through it just to see like, what's the, is there a, is there a difference that I can tell just quickly looking at it? And um, having read about what they, you know, cut out of the movie, uh, I didn't see any of the big moments that they were talking about, of which there's one that apparently is pretty remarkable involving a, uh, a prosthetic Oh, no. Um, nothing changes dramatically in the story at all. There's just imagery that's different. Um, and just watching that first murder, uh, it was clear that Possessor Uncut is a is a, is a somewhat more disturbing movie than what we saw. Oh, no. But I have to say, uh, having read about what Brandon Cronenberg says about it and, and being you know, into this kind of idea about like, well, a director really, I feel should have final cut of a film. I think that oddly making choices like that sometimes make the films worse to watch or more or disturbing in a, in another way, because they're not actually saying what the director wants to say. Another person's coming in and trimming out violence, but it's sometimes that violence actually, or that imagery is is there for a very important reason and gives you a much different experience that may be actually less nihilistic than the than the original huh in a way yeah the more yeah yeah the more you see can 
illuminate what he's trying to say about that character, for example, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I gotta say, like, this movie, just, just, this isn't a movie for the faint heart hearted, even the, even this version of it. It's not, it's, it's the kind of movie that comes around once in a while that, that where people are like, you know, it's all fun and games until whatever that movie is for some people. Some people thought hereditary was like, wow, that's really going, that's heavy. I can't, this is, this is a movie that actually supersedes that because it's actually dealing in, in kind of a, an art horror Euro landscape that is a, is much more um open to disturbing imagery than most films i've seen and it it it, uh, it does a job it does a number man it it really worked on me um how how did you how did you i mean what did you we'll get to rate it and talk about it but what was your overall experience you wanted to see it i knew that a uh, friend of a show of this show uncle buck suggested it uh so i'd like to say Screw you, Uncle Buck, because <laughs> messed you up good. I didn't. Oh, I, I have no interest in seeing the NC-17 version, to be honest. Not because I didn't love this movie, because as much as I hated last week, I was exhilarated by this movie. I love this movie. From the opening shot, I knew I was in a serious film by a serious filmmaking mind who, boy... I paint a picture with my mouth. This guy paints a picture with the camera. <laughs> it's a good analogy. It's very uh, actually yeah. mine's grosser than his entire movie. But uh, yeah, dude, I I was thrilled by this. Now I didn't enjoy watching it. Do you know what I mean? It's just yeah, it's an interesting distinction. It's a very very dark experience watching this movie. Yes, it's it's gut wrenching. It's violent. It's bloody. It's hard to watch. It is humorless, except for the fact that some of it's funny if you're sick in the head, as I am. <laughs> I think I think there's a moment or two, but um, boy, it's inventive. You know, there's a scene again. There'll be no spoilers because this is a brand new thing. But there's a scene when they, uh, her and the, the the lead and Jennifer Jason Lee. What's the lead actress's name? Tony. Um... Oh, her name is um, Andrea Riceborough. Sorry. Thank you. Andrea and Jennifer Jason Lee, who are both incredible in this film, are looking upon, should I say, their company's handiwork. And the handiwork happens to be on a large screen that's as big as, you know, the biggest flat screen you could ever have, like the size of the whole wall. And they are illuminated in the light of this scene that they're looking at. And well, I'm looking at the poster right now the movie on imdb they're covered so they're covered in the blood that's reflected on the thing i can say that because it's right here on the screen and he shoots it from behind them and then he shoots it exclusively like each of them bathed in this light um it's one of the most inventive and exciting and coolest presentations of something like that i've ever seen and you know what i thought of tony this is a weird thing it's like this on steroids um do you remember one of your favorite movies uh the great Sylvester Stallone in Nighthawks. Nighthawks, yeah. When they're looking at crime scenes and images of of the the terrorist, and he's has the fight with Sly, but he's eliminated in in the footage. Yeah, amazing. Do you, right, and I thought that reminded me of this, but this is like that on steroids. I'm like, what a cool shot! And I was just in on this, and that's just one small example of how he uses colors. He uses a lot of blue, a lot of red. Like this movie was just masterfully put together 
you know, for, for, for creep out nihilistic cinema for like really, really raw, violent, gory, bloody button pushing stuff. You kind of sometimes don't think you want to see, uh, for that kind of movie. It's a total pleasure because it's so well made and it's so thoughtfully constructed and it's so well thought out in terms of its plot. You know, I mean, really, uh, the, it reminds me of movies like, um, did you see Mandy, uh, with Nicolas Cage came out a couple years ago. Um, Panos Cosmet Cosmetos. I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but Panos Cosmo or Cosmatos probably, uh, is a young director. I mean, similar, uh, interests to, to Brandon Cronenberg. They make similar, uh, kind of like trippy psychedelic films that are very subjective and feel like you're living in them in this really murky, bloody kind of place. There's a, uh, I believe a Mexican filmmaker named Emiliano Rocha Minter. I'm saying that correctly, made a film called We Are the Flesh, which blew my mind. But again, another one of these just not for the screen. Like, really, you got to be, it's like you can't pass, you know, if you don't pass the lantern, you can't ride the ride. Like, this is not for kids. It's not for squeamish people. But but there's a real artistry to these films. And I think Brandon Cronenberg is just, you know, with this movie, I, I liked Antiviral, which was his first feature. Um, but. I this one I just think he quickly mastered some storytelling stuff that uh that really impressed me. I I just think it's an incredibly impressive movie. And um the color palette as you said is gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh there's not one scene that he's not thinking about that you can tell. You know, it's just Well, let me get on a soapbox for a minute and say why that's so nice. Um please. Oh, I think they said that all, if not all, then like the vast majority of the effects and shots in this movie are in camera. And for film buffs that, that actually is kind of exciting because it means that all the, all the lighting effects and all the, hold on, hold on. I got to hit your, oh no, <laughs> here it is. Nah. And now it's time for Tony's sim tr cinema term of the day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, most, most, production crews, you know, use a lot of digitally enhanced imagery and computer generated effects for all of it, for gore effects, for makeup effects, for lighting effects, for overlays, for all kinds of things, for light glinting, for, you know, for hazy shots of things. This director and his DP did all of it in camera, meaning they were playing with gels and lights and they could see as they were making the movie what the what this imagery would look like and they were experimenting with it with by hand and kind of hand rolling these things as my friend our friend michael says about color correction you know hand rolled it's really really beautiful now they didn't shoot it on film i kind of wish this movie had been but then again there's something about it that works in a digital realm because it's it's about this modern technology and it's 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 not it's not about pretty stuff it's very very um uh, in it's not an inviting palette. A lot of it's kind of like you know, acid yellow and and you know, uh, kind of rotting colors and stuff. But the blood, the color of the blood in this movie is like nothing. I've never seen anybody come close. I don't think it looks like real blood in a way that was actually kind of, um, kind of made me squeamish. Like it, it, it really looks real. And 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 
and alternately beautiful. She holds it. Yeah. She holds it in her hand one time and it almost becomes translucent and, and rainbowish and beautiful. It's like he, and, and then, you know, you, you mentioned the acidy colors and the disturbing color palette. Totally agreed. And yet alternately, uh, no spoilers, but when she's in a place of comfort, you know, when she's away from work, it's this soothing blue, right? Mm-hmm. But it, but it's also desaturated and a little bit banal and kind of like, yes, true. And that's part of the, her character, what she's dealing with. Yes. Yeah. There's uh, what I can say. If you, for my opinion, if you can handle the subject matter and you can handle the violence in the film, which is heavy duty. If you're watching the uncut version, I, I haven't even seen all of it. So all bets are off as to what you're going to really see in that film. Cause you're going to, it's not a movie made to make you happy. <laughs> it's not here to um, to delight you or give you a, a moral conclusion that makes you happy. Any of that. It's um, it's a dark ride, and it's also what I think is best about it doesn't really gel until the last twenty minutes, fifteen twenty minutes. And the movie actually becomes about a whole other set of things to me. I don't know if you had that experience, but I was like, it went from a visceral, scary, kinetic, sci-fi, psycho thriller into a place of like, oh, this is deeper than I, this is more character work than I thought was going on here. And it really surprised me. So stick with it is what I'm saying. You're, you're tapping into why I loved it and why I think it works. And that is this. That despite the gore and despite the whole corporation using mind control to assassinate that whole discussion, modern technology, all those themes, which I'm sure he meant to cover and to address, he strips all that away. And this movie is really about a character and it's deeply personal. It's a, it's a small movie in a way. You, you with me? Like, Yeah, for sure. So- it hits you in all the all the places that a great movie does and that this character's, you know, to not give any spoilers again, but to, this character's fight between her work life and, and a life outside of work. And it becomes very intense in all the other ways, again, besides the blood and besides the violence. And, besides, and then the other thing that I think that he does so brilliantly is I think a lot of directors would have got lost in the whole corporate government mind control, using her to control someone else's mind. We've seen that before from the Manchurian candidate on through. And what he does is he doesn't even get lost in that part of it. In fact, he even strips that down. He shows the mechanics of the equipment, the, the tool she's going to use to carry out the assassination. And he puts the camera in it, right? And and it looks like the back of a, um, if you like ripped open a calculator, right? Yes. And he, and he shows you the guts of some of this stuff, almost making it smaller and more benign and kind of just glunky, it, you know? And I thought that was really cool. Instead of trying to invent this super future world where this stuff, we can't even understand this stuff. He kind of shows you the guts of it. Well, for sure. Yeah. And, 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 and what he's after, I think as a, as a, as a writer and because he wrote this too, you know, what he's after as a, as a creator of this and as a real auteur, you know, I mean, if that, if that word means anything anymore, if it's even true, 
I mean, he didn't edit it himself, but he has such a personal touch on all of this stuff. I mean, he's a real filmmaker, this guy. He, 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 he made a movie that works on multiple levels, which I think is, I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the big prize to me. That's like, if you, if I've seen a lot of movies and I, I was really surprised at how, at how much of a character study this was with deep, deeply satisfying, dramatic, weird philosophical conclusions about life and about women and marriage and men and women and stuff that I just, I didn't see it coming, man. I didn't. And the fact that he could deliver this really crazy, gleaming, scary, messed up sci-fi horror movie. And then on top of that, like, tell me something about life and characters that I, I just wasn't expecting. Uh, I, and how, how many times, how many times have we watched a movie like this dealing with these type of things? And, 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 and at a certain point you go, but, but, but how many times do you see them and go, and, and then you just are left with like, okay, I get it. Corporations are bad or the government's bad or mind control is bad. And this movie had none of that. It, it just sets it up for you. You make the determinations of what, a, you know, the terrifying ramifications of what this is of, of taking, having, if we have the technology to control someone's mind from another mind and all the terribleness therein that could exist, that's all set up for you. And those questions are there, but he doesn't get lost in that. And he doesn't preach. Instead, he goes deeper into this female lead character and her life and what this job is doing to her. And I'm like, that's brilliant. And by the way, I saw it in another movie that Lucy deals with this type of stuff, and it was made by one Anthony Arkin. Honestly, this has been a little bit strange because I, I mean, I, I, you know, I was going to ask. I don't see stuff that I really respect this much a lot. I really respect this movie. I really think Brendan Cronenberg did an amazing job with this subject matter, and it's so similar to the movie that we made and that. Um, I'm trying to get released right now. It's a. Uh, Can you get a copy of Sender to Brandon Cronenberg? Because I think, and you tell him when you made this, because I would imagine you made Sender before he made this. Oh, uh, he would just throw it in the trash. I know. I don't think he would. I think he probably would be interested in, in some of the similar things that we came at vis a vis brainwashing, mind control, this kind of science fiction. We were both inspired by his father. I mean, heavily. This is a movie that is in the lineage of what Cronenberg, what his father, David Cronenberg, essentially created, which was this concept of body horror, or at least he elevated it to a place where it wasn't just, you know, blood and guts. It was a cycle. There was a psychological component to the horror and to the violence in these films. You know, and Brandon is, Cronenberg is taking this. I've never met either of these men. I'm a huge fan of David Cronenberg's now a big fan of Brandon's, but um, I think he'd probably find it interesting that, that both of us arrived at a, at a movie with, with similar source material and how different they are, but how similar they are and how we never communicated about it. There were things that were weird to me about how they're connected. I know I was, I couldn't, I was wondering how you were reacting to it. Cause I've, I've had that feeling I've been working on things like just on my laptop that no one ever saw or knew. And then I see a trailer for something that's like really damn close. And I'm like, did someone like <laughs> go in my mind and steal this? But so I was wondering if you had a little panic attack at a certain point, like, cause I feel like both movies, your movie and this movie take this topic, but I feel like you guys are both brilliantly and to good effect interested in the same thing. That is those questions I was mentioning earlier, you know, what, it, what it does to people. 
Well, that was, yeah, that's exactly what, you know, where, where my preoccupation in making Cinder, and I think we, we discussed it, you know, was like, I, I, I like the science fiction stuff, but I like it as a background for characters, for people in different states. And, and that's really what drama is interesting. That's the kind of drama that's interesting to me, not just a narrative, not a plot, you know, I mean, plot's fine, but it's to me more there to deliver a psychological experience to me. And if something's wrong with the plot, then that's not going to be very effective. So they're important. But to me, the reason I go to movies is to have, you know, almost more of like a weird cosmic experience, which I got out of this. I love seeing how, you know, the impact of this technology and these terrible lifestyles of assassins and, and, and awful, you know, these corporations, I like to see the effect that that has on the people that work in those in the institutions. And a big reason why Cinder was exciting to me and, and, and to Michael, our, 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 my friend and producer, why, why we liked it was because it was about, we set up the world, but the whole point in setting up the world was to show the impact on these characters that we loved and wanted to see what they do. And I, I just love that kind of movie. And, and it was this so clearly that's what possessor is too. Cause he doesn't, he, he, he does something up with world building that I just admire tremendously. It's not. And it's a problem I have with a lot of material that I see these days. World building isn't, isn't um, the end game. That's not enough. That's not why we go to see things. As far as I'm concerned, it's, it's a given that any movie creates a world. It doesn't have to be fantastical or genre related or, you know, or even particularly complicated. Every movie builds a world. So I feel like that phrase has more cachet right now than it really deserves. Everybody does world building. It's how you do it. And it's not enough just to build a world. It wasn't enough just for Tolkien to build Middle Earth. He had to inhabit it with amazing characters and drama and relatable things i'm not and i'm not even a fan i'm not even a fantasy fan but i mean like i respect it when it's done in any genre and um that was something about these two films i just felt was amazing like we these assassins that he's giving us in in possessor uh are are traumatized by their work we see them dealing with the emotional fallout of what they have to do they are they are as victimized by it somehow as you know or at least this woman is who's an, who's an assassin that we get to know um is as victimized by by the system that 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 allows this to happen as even as in anybody so delving into that psyche uh that's just like that's the real thing that's a real movie you know it's it doesn't just end with a lot of gore and a cool concept and um, that's what elevates this beyond being just kind of that's what makes it not to me a completely nihilistic experience. Agreed. And 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 yeah, because I the older I get too, the more sensitive to that stuff I get. I I've been angry at a lot of movies recently as I get older for that level of gore. I'm just like, I didn't want to see like, come on, unless like in this movie and there's no movie that's bloodier than this that I've seen in a while. But I loved it because he was doing all the things that you're enumerating. He was asking questions about character. And I found myself at the end not worried about corporations or whatever, or even mind control at that point. 
I was worried what's going to happen to this character. Right. And that's such a cool thing to be able to pull off in a movie like this. And by default, you know, I think he makes you think about what's happening because I think a little of us, a little of us is in all of these situations in character. You know, it's like in a tiny, tiny way, he's seeing the real world and reflecting on this world he sees and, and, and making these like big grand guignol statements about it, just like his dad did. But it's really stuff that's going on. Um, and to prove, I mean, it really, I mean, we can talk a little bit maybe about where the basis of some of this comes because it's not that this is why it also, I'm just going to come out and say it. This is on the shelf for me. The only reason why someone might not put it on that shelf, I think, is because they're they're either afraid of it or they think it's just disgusting or whatever. But that's not, I don't, I don't really think that of this film. And it its basis was in some actual stuff. The science fiction part of this is not quite as sci-fi as we'd like to believe. Shall we talk about that for a second? Yes, please. I was reading this article about the movie from the LA Times. This is an article by Jen Yamato. Uh, and it starts, inspired by a sensation he couldn't shake years ago, filmmaker Brandon Cronenberg wrote what would become his second feature, Possessor a sci-fi horror tale about an assassin who hacks into strangers' brains and uses them to murder high-profile targets. The real-life scenario from which the techno-thriller concept sprang, of course, was only slightly less extreme and nightmarish. It happened during the press tour for his 2012 directorial debut, Antiviral. In interview after interview, Cronenberg had begun to feel as if another self was emerging, once invented, that persona seemed to run wild beyond his control. It was like having a strange doppelganger out in the world that you can't recognize yourself in, like I was sitting up in the morning and into someone else's life, Cronenberg, 40, said over video chat from Toronto. Um, I love, love the fact that this movie stemmed from a personal experience of his, and you feel that I feel you feel that in the movie, you feel his preoccupation with it being not just about, you know, let's make, let's make some money making a crazy horror movie. He's got stuff on his mind. And, um, I think that's really clear. And what these actors do such a great job of, um, the lead, uh, Andrea Riseborough, I might've just read into this too much, but I think I'm, I think he meant this. And I think she meant it as the, in the performance, which is so subtle. She is struggling with the guilt over aspects of doing this job. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. If you could be someone else in body and voice and everything, you're kind of free to do whatever you want if they can pull you back. Right. This, this movie goes in a direction that you are not expecting it to go. Everybody's quite terrific in it. I mean, Chris Abbott, who has a very understated, does a very understated performance. It's not full of any kind of pyrotechnics. He's very quiet. He's very circumspect. And I think um, it's easy to kind of overlook the subtlety of what he's really doing, because there are many times throughout this movie where you see him playing two people at the same time. I also want to bring up another actor who does that so well, Gabriel. I think it's Gabriel Graham who plays Alice in this. She plays in the first sequence, the uh, a woman who is um, uh, being compromised by this organization. She has to undergo something. I think it's the first shot in the movie. It's a close up of her. 
It's the first thing I said when we started this from the opening shot. It's her back of her head. And I'm just like, and I won't even say what she's doing or anything, but it's like, oh, I'm in for a good ride here. I think this is a serious movie. And they cut around to the close up of her. And what she does as an actor is extraordinary. I mean, it's literally a close up of her going through a series of emotional states, one after another, without dialogue perfectly inhabited like ama- amazing i can't think of anyone else who could do that oh yes i could your wife <laughs> she does that all the time <laughs> no she has she certainly is that kind of actor and i think we'll see more of uh of this actor for sure gabriel graham um and uh, and everybody everybody's really really you know everybody i i feel like they rehearsed this movie like i feel like they all thought about it i feel like they all cared about it you know, I mean, it's um, it's really it's weird. It's 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 a beautiful movie and it's just disgusting. I rarely you really see that where something is just that beautifully made and thought through and and looks like people had a good time making it. But, oh, my God, just disturbing as hell. That kid, that kid, Christopher Abbott, I agree. He reminds me of um, Oscar Isaac a little bit. Right. And he, he's that good. Like, I, th- I think he was, I think he was really good in this and he does just like she does of, of showing you things just with a subtle facial expression, the way he moves his body different. He doesn't overplay that, but it's like, oh man, it's so good. And one last thing on my notes in terms of the execution, you mentioned his father. There are scenes, um, the transition that happens in this procedure of, of mind control. There are montages, if you will. And I was like, oh, my God, he's given his dad a tribute. There's one or two shots in it in during those transitions that are straight up scanners, his dad, like, right. But he's but but Brandon Cronenberg is one of the few directors I feel that's actually paying homage to it and building on it and not pretending he came up with it. He's just using kind of a language that. But then you use the right word. I'm glad you said that. But then he builds on that. And and then he takes it to the next level. So it's an awesome thing is if, if you're into this world, you go, oh, that's so sweet. He's, by the way, it's a horrifying image, but it's like, oh, that's sweet. He's paying homage to scanners and his dad. Then he takes it in a way and you go, oh God, I've never seen that before, which is awesome. So he didn't just do it to do it. He does it. And then he goes, hey, dad, look what I did with that. Yeah. He really built on it. And he really, um, uh, it's a, it's a proper homage, you know, I mean, it's a proper, proper respect to his father. You know, it's a daring thing for a, the son of a celebrity like that to go off and do. No, I'm not saying it is like just because I'm, you know, my dad's an actor or whatever. But I mean, like Brandon's a very public guy, like what he's doing, he's making big films right now. And for him to go, no, I'm going to work in the same genre that my dad did, who who wrote the book on body horror, you know, and this kind of sci fi psycho thriller. Wow, man, that's that's uh that takes a lot of courage, and and um, and then to just knock it out of the park like this, uh, good for him. Good for him. Should we? Can we just? Can we just bring up Doctor Jose Delgado for a second, please? Because this technology in the movie, and why I think ultimately it has to go on the shelf, is because this is based on the work of this guy, Doctor Jose Delgado, who I guess in the sixties, seventies. I didn't do a ton of research on him, but he's a real dude. Uh, was working on neurophysiology and was the leader in uh, mind control through electrical stimulation of the brain. You actually see a black and white clip of a bullfighter 
in this movie. That's that's uh, that's yeah. footage from apparently yeah. from a Delgado experiment where they had an electrode in that bull's brain and they were controlling his behavior. Okay, I'm so glad I didn't know that watching it because I might not have been able to get through the rest of it. It's terrifying. But Delgado is someone I want to research now <laughs> carefully, <laughs> very carefully, um, because he was uh, he was saying that, uh, you know, masses, mass amounts of people could be controlled through radio frequencies, uh, control to murder or do anything. Uh, so this stuff is based on kind of a fantasy version of his technology. So even the technology in this movie has got some actual, you know. Um, paranormal cred. Yeah, really bad news. The idea that uh, you're not in control of your own mind is just, it begs all kinds of disturbing questions. and Potentially the scariest idea in the you could imagine. Um, all right, so fair to say it's going on our shelf. For sure, for sure. Well, this is a great one. Uh, Anthony, next week, actually, we might not do it in a week, um, I have to travel next week for my Oak Island responsibilities. So dear listener, don't panic. If a week goes by and you don't see a new episode, we might take one week off. We might not because sometimes they change my travel schedule at the last minute, but I just want to put it out there. Um, so either it'll be next week as we are always weekly, or it'll be the week after we will review the film. And this is another Suggestion from our audience, Anthony, The Vast of Night, a 2019 film available on Amazon, The Vast of Night. Uh, full disclosure, I have seen it already. So, yeah, I already know it. And I, uh, uh, it's something I look forward to seeing again. So, yeah. All right. Well, this is a great one, man. We did some breaking news. We both found a movie that we loved and recommend if you are not too squeamish. And uh, I think that's a hell of a hell of an episode. It's, it's the beginning of a whole new great year. Great stuff happened. Great stuff. Now I'm going to ruin it by having you ask me if I watched the rest of that series we did last week. Ah, did you watch the rest of it? That'd be a big fat no, Tony. Okay, well that's fine. Uh, I did. I finished the season. There were two episodes in in the latter half of that first season that didn't work for me. So I thought. You know, oh, maybe I'm falling into Maddie's camp with this a little bit, but then it redeemed itself, and um, I have to say, uh, I still feel the same way about it. I'm, I'm, I'm. I think it's uh, for what it's trying to do, because I don't think it's trying to be a smart uh, show like that. I think it's supposed to be trying to do other things. I, I'm still, I still like it, but um, I respect what you're saying, man. Well, I mean, look, even the guy who made Sender can be wrong once in a while. <laughs> the movie that no one's seen. Oh, no, not for long. All right, Tony, we'll do it again next time. Sounds good, man. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Rated P for Paranormal. Please rate, review, and share. It really does make a difference. For more information, you can check out our main page. Just go to anchor.fm slash Rated Paranormal. Follow us on social media at Rated Paranormal. All music is by Andrew Galdens Jr. Give him a follow at Kid Riga on Instagram. That's at K-I-D-R-I-G-A. This podcast was created, produced, written, and edited by Maddie Blake and Anthony Arkin. I paint a beautiful picture with my mouth. Rated P for Paranormal is powered by Anchor. P for P News Network.